Welcome to the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast with psychologist Dr. Doreen Downing. Listen in as Doreen interviews people who felt they didn't have a voice or who suffered extreme speaking anxiety. You'll hear stories about how they struggled to speak up, what they did to find their authentic voice, and the confidence they now feel to speak up and make an impact. If you want to get started right away to find your voice, download Doreen's free 7-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. And now, here is Doreen. Hi, I'm Dr. Doreen Downing, and I host the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast. I invite guests here who have a story, and that story is about not having a voice. And what does that actually mean? It means, it could mean that somewhere along their life, maybe early childhood or maybe high school, or maybe when they got out into the work world, it was difficult to express and connect to who they really are and communicate from a sense of, hello world, this is who I am, you know, like a stronger sense. So today I'd like to interview, well, this is a new friend of mine, Eric Brotman. And let me tell you a little bit about him first. He's a CEO of BFG Financial Advisors. He's host of Don't Retire, Graduate. Ooh, I can't wait to hear more about that one. He's a podcast host, and he's also author of a book called Don't Retire, Graduate. And he's a regular contributor to Forbes.com. And he's, he and his team believe that financial literacy is the key to financial freedom. And this is the good part. So they provide free and affordable educational resources and accessible financial planning with no asset minimums. Well, welcome, Eric. This is a brand new conversation. We're just beginning our relationship. So it's it's learning about you from start. So hello. Well, hi, Doreen. It's great to be here. I'm, I'm excited, enthusiastic, and of course, uh, on the hot seat. So I'm, I'm ready for you. <laughs> well, because I'm a psychologist, I always like to start and, you know, inquire about early childhood, because that's the first place where we go goo goo gaga, and we get mirrored back to us what our voice is. And so just if you can wander back into earlier childhood and what your experience of having a voice, not having a voice might have been. It's interesting. Growing up, I had a knack for, um, I watched a lot of comedians, um, clean ones, of course, because I was a kid, uh, and also loved music. And um, I started at a young age, both singing and doing comedy routines, basically for myself or for my parents, but I was always in the voice of the other person. So I, I was really learning to mimic someone else. And even when I sang, I sang like it was an impersonation. I never actually sang in my own voice. I'm still not sure I know what my voice is when I sing. I still, to this day, I'm 50 years old. I still, when I sing, whether it's with a band and I, I've sung on stage with uh, Grammy nominees, I've also uh, had the uh, the good fortune to sing both karaoke and in the shower and in the car. Uh, but I, I tend to take on the voice of the person who I'm who I'm emulating. 
Wow, that's such a good start. This is brand new information for my audience. I have not heard anybody start with a, you know, a sense of themselves taking on a voice early on, but have it be singing and then have it develop into something where you're on stage with a Grammy nominee. Wow. Yeah, that was um, I'm a little bit like Forrest Gump in the sense that I wind up in interesting places, meet interesting people and have become very non-phased by it. I'm not, uh, I, I'm not in awe of uh, celebrity. And so at this stage in my life, I'm not afraid to walk up to anyone and say anything. Um, sometimes having that lack of filter can get me in trouble, but generally it's a good thing. Uh, and I, I don't think it was always that way for sure. But at this point, I'm just unfazed. I think people are all people, whether they're famous or not. That's wonderful uh, message. I remember myself putting on little performances for my family when I was young. It was really that that audience. Isn't it a warm, wonderful audience that gets happy when their little kids come out and dance or sing? My parents used to have dinner parties and I used to entertain their guests. Um, at which and sometimes it was with comedy routines and they used to love it. You know, I, half the time, half the time, I just wanted to be part of the fun. I was the oldest. Uh, it was just me and my younger brother. And, you know, when we were six, seven, eight, nine years old, we used to have fun when my parents would throw a dinner party for adults. We'd have fun like bussing tables and 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 being part of the comedy. So uh, we actually got a chance to participate in some very unique ways. <laughs> yes, I remember those parties, too. There used to be a lot of drinking, and I know that my sister and I would go around the room and slurp up, <laughs> so it was not such a good good experience in terms oh of... Yeah, well, that was my early days of learning how to be an alcoholic since oh then. Oh, gosh. It's, yeah, yeah. It started really young, but I, I have oh uh, left that behind and... Uh, that was all part of learning about myself and growing, and that was what my psychology degree helped me do. But back to you, my dear. Wow. So early, your message, though, what you said is there's a sense of taking on some some sense of somebody other than you, who you really truly are. What? Let's just keep on going through the life cycle, and you're moving into. Well, grammar school, high school. What do you? What are some of your memories there? I think I was I was one of those young people who really didn't have a group or a clique. So growing up, I, I sort of fit in with everybody. I hung out with the artists. I hung out with the athletes. I hung out with the uh, the preppy kids, and I hung out with the troubled kids. And I, and I was just sort of um, very chameleon esque. In fact. Uh, I, I would, if I would, uh, when I travel to this day, when I travel, if I'm in North Carolina, I sound completely different than if I'm in New Jersey and not on purpose and not in some way that's like, um, that, that's not, um, I, it's authentic. It's authentically me, but I just tend to take on my environment very significantly, not in an attempt to, to defraud anyone, but in an attempt to um, to, to ingratiate myself in an attempt to, to fit in. And so I managed to fit into almost any crowd because I morphed myself to do it. And, and it was very natural. It wasn't something I was thinking about. I really get what you're saying. I know that uh, already it feels like you and I must have learned some of the same things growing up because I, I have, I've traveled, I've been in the Peace Corps and I feel like I can 
fit into quite a few different societies and uh, classes. But what I just realized about you, maybe I realized it about myself too, is that you're right. It's not so much about trying to hide. It's about trying to fit in. It's not like you're hiding. But what I just got, Eric, is that our voice we have multiple aspects that because we are so layered and as humans, we have aspects. So why not have these aspects have voice? It makes sense to me. I mean, when you're in different conversations with different kinds of people, you will speak differently. I will anyway. If I'm speaking to somebody 90 years old, I'm going to speak differently than if I speak to somebody nine years old. And that's an extreme example, but that's not to suggest that I've lost my sense of self. It's to suggest that I'm, I want to be relatable and I want to be approachable and I, I want whoever I'm speaking to, to feel like I'm speaking directly to them on purpose. I like the sense of connection that you're talking about, that what's priority in conversation or communication is finding the link that connects and it sounds like, you know, just today, I feel like I'm learning a lot just by talking to you. Voice is a way that we, of course, communicate, but it's how we connect. It is. And, and I'm, uh, I'm an open book today. And, I, and in fact, I'm usually an open book. But today I figured I was going to get some really, really expensive therapy for free. So here I am. <laughs> Well, one thing about being in transformational work is that the person who's engaged is also getting transformed. That's what I love about the work that I do nowadays. You know, less about you having a problem and me having the answer. It's like, ah, we get to go explore together and discover together. So I'm, I'm really having a lot of fun with you. I'm glad. <laughs> So high school, say a little bit more about you in high school. Well, in, in high school, my, my parents divorced when I was 12 years old. And it's one of those things. It's one of those moments in life for anyone who's been through this. You remember where you were sitting when you hear that your parents are splitting up. It, it's like where you were on 9-11 or Kennedy or these big moments in life, the space shuttle. Um, and I remember everything about it. It was this was now the tail end of middle school or somewhere in middle school. And um, without getting into all the details of the story, it really changed my trajectory because it forced me to grow up pretty fast. And so I became, um, I became sort of a full-blown adult, not chronologically, but by necessity, somewhere around 12 or 13. And there's pros and cons to that. I mean, the pros are I learned self-reliance. I had a job by 14. I was, I was really, not that I was supporting myself, but I was taking on a lot of responsibility at a young age. Um, and I did that out of necessity, but I, I will say that the downside of that is I, I think some of my childhood was missed, not as a kid. I had a happy childhood, but in terms of my teenage years, my teenage years weren't pretty. I, I have a sixth grade daughter right now, and I'm hoping that nature does not, uh, does not decide to pay me back for what I did in my teenage years <laughs> to my own parents who and my parents would love nothing more of course they love my they love their granddaughter but they'd love nothing more than for me to get a small taste of what i put them through in my adolescence yes yeah well there we go again mine were divorced much earlier in my life like around 5 6 years old so 
I've, I've had that sense of having to grow up and take responsibility really early on. And you were an older brother. I have, uh, I'm the older sister and I took care of my little sister. So I think that is some of the origins of my, my natural ability to go into a field where I am paying attention to people and helping them find and grow themselves. Well, in, in financial planning, it is almost um, it, it's almost as intimate as medicine in the sense that we really do have to connect and have conversations that are about real things. And it's not just about math and money. It's about life. It's about kids. It's about dreams. It's about uh, who in the family maybe is having a gambling issue or a drug problem or is in a bad marriage or uh, or has all these different uh, types of behavioral, um, you know, not biological generally, but psychological issues. Um, behavioral finance is a is a growing field and a fascinating field. Uh, and I actually studied in college. I studied English and psychology. So I was not a finance major. I'm in financial planning because it came naturally to me and I loved it. But what I love about it is the relationships, not the math. I can do the math, but a computer can do the math. What a computer can't do and the reason why I don't feel threatened by the robo-advisors out in the universe are that they can't create human connection. They can't relate to what it's like to have a loss or, uh, or to have a big win or to have something happen in, in your life. So I think it allowed me to use, I think I've used my English and psychology background to, to my uh, advantage professionally in finance, even though they seem totally unrelated. Yes, I think that we are already getting a good sense of you way back when, before you even became a professional, where you're already enjoying uh, being connected to people. And it looks like it continued through through your high school years. And then you're starting, I'd like to, yes, definitely moving on to how you then, e even though you didn't go to school for being a financial advisor or in this world, how, like, tell us. How did you how did you come upon this? I, I will call it blind, stupid luck. Um, I had been interning um, in both high school and college for a number of I interned for law firms, interned for a brokerage firm. And I took a job at a brokerage firm when I uh, got out of college in the legal department. And like lots of English majors, I was either going to teach or go to law school. And I was thinking maybe more like law school. So I took a job in the legal department of a financial company. And within six months to a year, I fell in love with the financial piece far more than the legal piece. Uh -huh. And despite having taken LSATs and applied to school and gotten into law school and paid a deposit for law school, I didn't go. It was not my path. And um, so I actually ate a deposit for law school many years ago, and, and I don't regret it. It was the best decision I ever made because it helped me chase what I really loved. And so I, I fell in love with the financial world right away, and I, I fell in love with it because I realized just how much incredible need there is for people to understand personal finance. And so when I say personal financial literacy is the key to everything, to me, it is. To me, financial literacy is as important as literacy, because without it, you really are helpless and you're, there are predators and creditors out there. And so you become prey and that's not good. Uh, and a lot of people make financial decisions either blindly um, or, um, or using the guidance from those who really shouldn't be giving the guidance anyway. Uh, the blind do lead the blind a lot of the times in something like that. So I found I could really make a difference um, in lots of people's lives. And, and that was, it, it was kismet. It was an accident that I found finance. Mm -hmm. 
Predators and creditors. What an alliteration. <laughs> I'll yeah. always remember that. <laughs> well, I'm not going to try and say it three times fast. But yes, I mean, that's that's when you, when you think about it, um, protecting yourself and your loved ones from those kinds of things, whether, you know, back in the day, it was having a moat around your castle to protect it against invaders. Today, it's cybersecurity. But no matter how time changes, it's still about protecting your loved ones and your wealth and your resources. Yeah. And uh, having somebody like you, it feels like who cares? I get that today. And hopefully my listeners are hearing that you aren't just some uh, robot out to make money. You're, you, uh, you're, you're really relatable. And I think that, that that's what we, we need is support along the way. Cause in a way I'm thinking about you in a position like me, I'm looking at people and I'm looking at possibility and I'm looking at growth and I'm looking at, at uh, what could be for them. And that feels like, you know, you looking at people knowing more than they know about what's possible. So, uh, well, and helping people realize a, a mindset of abundance. It's, you know, yogis figured that out 3000 years ago, but there, there, there are ways to find abundance and joy that stem from making good decisions. And so, um, you know, a lot of people are driven by the, the, by fear. Um, and I'm, I'm one of those creatures, my fear of failure, um, has driven me professionally my whole life, not because I've had a history of failing, particularly at anything but because it, it's the one thing I didn't want to face was, was not being good at something or, or failing at something. And so it forced me to work. And I think I outworked a lot of people. I outworked my peers. I know that. And not in school, not academically. Academically, I really grabbed the, the bull by the horn and enjoyed my college years. Um, I didn't spend them nearly as much in the library as some. I spent them uh, relating to people. And I spend them in, in more, uh, uh, more bars than I care to admit too. So we can talk about that if you want to, but, uh, <laughs> the reality is I had a lot of fun in college. I made a lot of great friends and I learned a whole lot about life and I didn't, I'm not going to say I didn't apply myself. I'm going to say, I didn't stress over the grades. I, I made sure I had a great experience and I don't regret that today. My transcript is not something someone asks me about anymore. It's yes. been 30 years. Uh -huh. That's so, so, so true. Well, one of the things I realized looking back on what you just said a few minutes ago about being in law school, or not going to law school, but also being in an internship where you started to feel yourself gravitate, be pulled by. And I was thinking that it's a little, you know, because the, our my podcast is about voice. It seems like this is kind of a far out idea that your future has a voice. I don't, I don't know if it's, if, if it's that your future is calling, I think you have to hear a lot of sounds to be drawn by one. Yes. And so if you're going to, I think it's important for people to try lots of things, um, try lots of experiences, try it, whether it's travel or whether it's hobbies or whether it's, um, whether it's jobs, whatever it is, try lots of things to help discover what you like. Sometimes it's important to discover early what you don't like. Because the path you might think you're on, I'm sure there's some young people right now who are in their third year of med school who realize they don't want to be doctors. And you hit a certain point on your journey where it feels like it's further to go back than it is to go ahead. And so you just sort of finish. And then you're in this life you might not want. 
I think it's far better to try a, a, a variety of things. It's one of the reasons why I think liberal arts education is still important. There's lots of people who think it's a waste of time or a waste of money, or I, I think a broad education and being exposed to lots of different people and ideas and concepts allows you to figure out your place and therefore your voice. Mm-hmm. I like the connection and therefore your voice. Well, the idea that you have found your, let's say, your environment where you feel like you can uh, speak in a way from experience, lots of experience, it sounds like, and and knowledge, and you did the hard work. Mm -hmm. But also what I'm getting is you use the word literacy, financial literacy. That's that's a language, isn't it? It, It's very much so. And it, it is all industries have their own jargon. But the financial world is so extreme in its jargon, it feels like a club that most people aren't allowed to join. And there's a lot of disenfranchised people and families and couples um, because it feels like there's this club out there, um, whether, and I don't necessarily mean the club of wealth, but this club of inside um, it, it's like inside baseball, like these, like people who, who somehow know things that we don't know and are privy to things that we don't, that we don't receive. And it's not to suggest something criminal or, or, you know, nothing illegal. I'm just saying it feels like we're not invited to that party. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's real important for folks to realize that the way to get into those conversations um, is to make sure you understand enough about those conversations to participate. It's great well, to listen, you, but you have to participate. You you seem to be somebody who knows both both languages. That you can be a bridge to help people understand what financial literacy actually means, so that then they can uh, speak it themselves. To the best of my ability, that's exactly right. And so, you know, we we support uh, Junior Achievement, which is a, an international organization that teaches young people, teaches school age kids, uh, financial literacy concepts, everything from budgeting to entrepreneurship. Uh, it's just an awesome program, and we have a, a whole lot of fun with with that and supporting them. And I, I think the kids don't get financial personal finance in school in most most areas of the country. Um, I, I remember in third grade having a course that, that at one point, as part of our math course, we learned how to balance a checkbook. Now, of course, kids today will never probably have a checkbook. So <laughs> it's more like a video game now. But at the time, it was a checkbook and figuring how to do that register and how to figure out debits and credits. And it was a very simple thing for an eight-year-old, but it stuck with me. Um, I think most kids don't even get that anymore because there's so much pressure to teach to a test. And to, to pass certain tests and certain standardized scores and sort of to move to the next level, that some of the basic practical skills, finance being one of them, but certainly not the only one, really are getting left behind. And kids are, are it's a disservice to a whole generation. Yeah, I'm glad you're saying that and that it uh, helps us understand that we now need to find those who are educated like you around what financial literacy means and so that you can help wake us up you can help teach us you could help we can learn now i mean yeah we didn't get it early on in life but uh, guess what we've got uh, people like you who can help us well i i feel like i've combed through a little bit of your history going through college and finding finding your your realm of expertise you've got a book and you say yeah. don't retire 
retire, graduate. Tell us about that. In, in the simplest terms, retirement is a punishment worse than death. The idea of retiring in today's world is the idea of retreating and disappearing and becoming irrelevant. And that makes no sense to me. It makes no sense to spend 45 years growing a, a vitae and a network and all of this wisdom to then sit in front of daytime TV with your feet up or play golf or shuffleboard. It makes no sense. Um, in most cultures of the world, uh, the elders are the ones who have the, the, the most important tent. They're revered. They're the ones you go to with the life's biggest problems. And in this country, and not just this country, but specifically here, we tend to put people out to pasture. And I don't understand it. I think these are folks who've seen more than we have. We could learn more from them if we would just shut up and listen. And so I think it's important for uh, retirement not to be a retreat or a disappearing act, but to be a graduation, a commencement of the next phase of your life, which should be moving forward towards something, towards something important. Mm -hmm. um, I consider the idea of retirement the same as financial independence. To me, being retired is the absence of needing to work, not the absence of working. Because the absence of working, if you don't have something really rewarding to fill your day, it leaves you without, forget a voice, without a voice, it leaves you without without a purpose. And people who don't have a reason to get out of bed every morning eventually stop getting out of bed every morning. And that is a tragic way to end a life well lived. Yeah, I like the idea of what you're proposing for us is uh, graduating into something that is really a compilation of all of our brilliance and our wisdom and and what i get i just have this vision myself of us you know our society going the voices of the elders you know in a lot of more traditional societies or primitive societies like you say the elders were honored and revered but we need to do that and it sounds like your book is uh, helps point to that the people who are quote retired have a voice that we can learn from the book is designed to be a tool for financial literacy and to help reach financial independence but it's also designed to help reach financial independence with a purpose with with vision um, it, it's not enough to have a scoreboard you know it's been said he who dies with the most toys wins I don't believe in that. He who dies with the most toys still dies and probably didn't play with half of them. I would rather see us figure out how can we leave the world a better place than we found it? How can we use our own talent to create a financial independence and then to pay that forward in profound and important ways, things that connect to us? And how do we, what is immortality? Immortality is not slapping your name on a building. I don't know about you, but where I went to college, every building had a name. They were all from major donors. I knew which building my classes were in, but I didn't know those people uh -huh. and I didn't care who they were. That's not immortality. That's, that's graffiti. At some point, it's better to find a way to, to, you know, for me, I would rather and do have named scholarships so that we can help kids graduate from college and make sure that they finish education. That to me is immortality. You've just changed the trajectory, not only of an individual and their immediate family, but their heirs for what could be generations. Mm -hmm. That is profound. That's immortality, not having my name on a building somewhere. Well, Eric, speaking of profound, your voice today feels like it carries so much for people to listen to and learn from you. How do people find you? 
Uh, best place to find me is at brotmanmedia.com, um, which is where you'll find the podcasts, where you'll find the books and workbooks and online financial literacy courses, uh, some of which are free. Um, it's it, You can also go to bfgfa.com, which is BFG Financial Advisors, and learn more about what we do every day. Oh, Eric, I was so glad to have a platform where you could come and speak about what you love. And it's clear that just by looking in your eyes and seeing your smile that you love what you do and you're excited about passing on this information. So thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a treat. Thank you for being with us today for this episode of Find Your Voice, Change Your Life. Each person during interviews shares what has helped them find their voice. You can learn from these guests and find your voice so you can be confident to speak up and speak out. And remember to download Doreen's free seven-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll return next time. Until then, goodbye for now.